This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. The beard is out. He is in the air as we speak on his way to Hawaii for eight days. And I told him, like, as his agency principal, I don't like to say boss because I don't call myself anybody's boss, but as, as the agency principal, I would have been happier if he would have gone for two weeks for him because eight days to Hawaii is not enough on that plane ride there and back. You're losing a day each way that way. But it's free. Wife won President's Club yet again for ADP. So go get it while you can. And my guess is he's wearing his little man suit that he bought in Key West with the matching shorts and cabana shirt. So I can't wait. Because his wife, by the way, his wife loves social media. Kyle hates it. And she she will post and tag like 15 to 20 hashtags every time. I love it. More people see it then. Yeah, so we've got a crazy episode today. We actually have guest host Sean Kirby, who's becoming a veteran guest host at this point. Mm-hmm. This is like the second or third time you've been on as a guest host, right? Yeah, yeah, replace the beard with the mustache, man. You have a much more ample mustache than he does. It's a Thank beautiful you. mustache. And then we've got a gentleman who's more masculine than the other two of you put together, Mr. Derek Hayden. I'm surprised he didn't show up with a cauldron of of deer blood to drink, you know, just in the middle of the podcast for no reason. I already finished it this morning, so. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, listen, I want to do this because it's been almost a year, man, and you've you've like kind of come full circle, I think, at this point, based on everything I'm seeing. Um, you know, you had a chance, you won the protege, then you had a chance to coach this clown in protege. Um, uh-huh. I'm sorry. I thought I had Brian McCall on here for a second. I, <laughs> Talk I forgot. This is only a one. Yeah. This is only a one hour episode. Um, <laughs> but you had a chance to do that. You've had some, some public speaking stuff. You're doing some coaching and things like that. So I just wanted to catch up with you, man. Cause I feel like the only time you and I ever have a chance to catch up is if I just have you come on the podcast. <laughs> I know, man. Yeah. It's been a, it's crazy to think it's been a year almost. Um, so I was just thinking of that this morning, like, wow, it has been almost a year since the, 
the finale of season one. So it's been a cool ride. It's, uh, you know, being from a small town, uh, that was kind of the, the shtick that I had there was a small town guy trying to make it in the, in the big city world. of. You were the male version Mar- of Don't Stop Believing, brother. You are the male personification <laughs> of a journey classic. <laughs> <laughs> so it worked out, and I, I do think that had a lot to do with me winning. The final vote was, you know, I've got a strong following in a smaller town, so I, I got a lot of votes from local people. But I argue that. At- I don't think that's why at all. I think I don't really? care if you're living in a small town or a big town. Yes, the people were loyal to you, and yes, they came sure. out and voted for you. But at the end of the day, man, you put yourself in the position to win because you actually did what you have to do. You know, you were the only one who had an article in the newspaper. How'd that happen? Did they just come and say, hey, Derek, I'd like to feature you in an article because we think maybe you're participating in a reality show? No. You went to the newspaper and said, hey, I'm competing in this reality show. Love to have an article. It'd be great reading for Shelbyville, blah, 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 blah. Go on the news channel. Nobody else did that. Go on the TV. Nobody else did that. So don't sit here and say it's because you're from small town America. You could have been in New York City, and if you did the exact same thing, the only difference is you would have been in a bigger town to vote for you more. That's it, period. That's why you won. Hey, I guess that's true. I never thought of it like that before. But, yeah, I think that is what my biggest result from the protege was, was getting myself the confidence to just put yourself out there. Um, you know, really entering my name and my video into the, you know, submission process was the first time I ever really tried anything like that. I, I always kind of had the, the mentality to, you know, stay in my lane, not go after some of the stuff, you know, because I thought maybe being from a small town would hinder me and not work out to my advantage. But, um, that was like started the, I don't know, you'd say kind of the gateway drug, which is a terrible explanation but it's the, it was the gateway drug to being confident in you know putting myself out there and making it happen. Yeah, I mean, sadly, I use drug references all the time in terms <laughs> of how business gets done, man. I mean, that's what we talk about when we use mineral at the agency and give it to a prospect. That's why we do it. We're, we're the street pusher getting them used to using our systems so that they get addicted to them and then they can't go anywhere and they have no choice but for us to place the insurance for them, right? So, I mean, I think that that applies to a, a lot of different things. But it's Absolutely. interesting that you say that. I mean, the mindset's the number one thing, man. It doesn't matter if it's protege or people in killing commercial or people who just say, you know, I really want to get into commercial, but I don't think that I know enough or whatever else. It's 100% a mindset, right? Yep. And I'm trying to teach my older son this because he want my oldest son, this because it'd be weird if he was older than me. Um, <laughs> Maybe, maybe not. I lived in West Virginia for a while. But anyhow, um, I've been teaching his, him that you know, you're going to earn in the denominations in which you're willing to think, period, right? And sometimes you just don't think big enough or you don't think confidently enough. Today's Thursday, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know why I decided to do this, but I started doing this last Thursday, Every morning, so Grayson totaled his car a couple months ago and has still not gone out and bought a new one, which, by the way, absolutely crazy that cars can be totaled when airbags deploy so easily because the actual body damage to his Infinity was like probably $2,500, but they totaled a 2019 Infinity Q50 because the driver's side airbag deployed, the curtain on the passenger window, and the curtain on the rear passenger window, and there's just no, like at that point... 
because the car, I mean, the car's still worth like thirty thousand dollars. Like, right. Just, I, I'm just absolutely blown away. I was, the the human side of me was trying to figure out how I could cut a side deal just to get the car out of salvage, pay to have it fixed, get the old buck knife and slice the airbags off, and just say screw it. I grew up in an era where you ride in the back of a station wagon facing the opposite direction with no seat belts and a window that rolls down halfway down the door. So uh-huh. if I made it, I'm pretty sure he can. But anyhow, back to what I was saying on mindset. It was like last Wednesday or last Thursday. I don't remember which, but I told him, I'm like, we were getting ready to leave because he rides to work with me due to the, the accident. So let's go make $10,000 today. He said, what are you talking about? I said, let's just go make 10000 bucks." He goes, how are we going to do that? I said, I don't know, but I'll figure it out. I just know what the goal is. Guess what? I made $10,000. So I have said that every single day for the last week. And every single day for the last week, I've made 10000 bucks. And I'm like, maybe I need to say, let's go make a hundred thousand because 10 <laughs> seems to be easy. Right. And uh-huh. I'm not, I'm not saying that to brag. I don't want anybody who heard what I just said to think that I'm being boastful when I say that I'm telling you that because when you're willing to think big enough and expand the way you think you can achieve far more than you ever thought that you could achieve. There are so many ways to make money and improve yourself out there, you know, and look, Anybody listening to this who knows who I am knows I've got about 15 irons in the fire. So for me for me to make 10 grand in a day at this stage in my career could mean I make just a small incremental amount of money across like maybe I make $1000 across 10 different things. So it is a realistic number to think. But how many people just wake up in the morning and say, "You know what? I'm going to go make $10,000 today." And by the way, I'm not talking about 10,000 in premium. I'm not talking about 10000 in agency revenue. I'm talking about $10,000 that goes into my family's pocket, period. How many people do that? Like, How many people say, I, this is what I'm going to go do today. I'm going to do what I need to do to earn this. No, they don't. They don't ever start their day with any expectation whatsoever. They go out and they go to work. They run through the motions. And if, you know, I'm just going to close some business today. Great. Well, guess what? There's people out there that close the wrong business. That doesn't, that doesn't mean you're successful. All I'm saying is figure out a way to think big, put a number on it, and then go do it. That's it. I just I just gave you guys the whole dirty one thirty in three sentences. I was wondering if that's where this was going. It sounds pretty no. pretty up your alley. No, I I agree. After after the protege, so one thing I did starting in the new year, and it's funny you say this because I do this every morning. I don't think about making ten thousand dollars a day. Maybe I should. Oh, Derek, now. you need to. I know. I was trying to look up the book. So I read the first book I read this year was Miracle Morning. I don't know if you guys have read that. I've not read that one, but um, I'm going to write it down. There's it's it just kind of lays out how you can start your morning and then get more accomplished than the average person in the first you know hour of your day. And part of that is visualizing. And I read another book. I was trying to look find this the name of this one. It is uh, Organized Tomorrow Today was the name of the book. And they talked about his, this guy came up with like a one minute, um, mental exercise of visualizing, um, what you've done well already and what you want to do, what, what you want to get done, what you want to accomplish, you know, in that day and the days coming in in the near future. And I've started doing that. And I swear I've got more done this year than I have the entire first nine years of my career. I mean, and it's not just in business, but it's like started the podcast and we're the stuff that we're doing on the podcast is mind blowing. Some of the things that 
I never would have thought we could have done. And by the way, I stole the, the name of my podcast directly from Mr. David Carruthers too. So except oh, yeah, it's not what Bay is Area it? Business Leader. Uh, Central oh, yeah, Illinois. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Central Illinois Business Leader. You've been doing that for leaders. a while, right? You've been doing that for yeah, a while. Yeah, I, think- I started that in the middle of Protégé. So, well, look how many people out there have agencies that they've started in the last two years that end in risk partners, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's funny because they all reach out and they're like, "Hey, man, do you mind if you mind if I?" I'm like, "What do I care?" You know, I'm not. <laughs> Listen, people, if you want to start an agency that ends in risk partners, I do not have rights to anything other than Florida. Go get it. I'm not leaving the five counties outside of Tampa Bay other than to go to Key West when I retire. There you go. Yeah, the, the visualizing and, and telling yourself you're going to do it. And it's almost, what's the word they use? Manifesting. Manifesting it to happen. And you well, start thinking I the think way. the thing is, man, yeah, people don't really understand the power of visualization. They really don't. We think we do. But, you know, I, um, I, I will tell you that I am somebody who has visualized since as long as I can remember. I mean, going all the way back to junior high and high school. And I do that with literally everything. Like, even if there's an account that I want to get in, I've not been in there, I will visualize myself going in, how I'm going to deal with it. You know, I, I'll, I'll, the, the logos burned into my brain. Like, I see things in my head and I do what I need to do until I achieve those things. And if I don't achieve them, it doesn't leave my head and I don't quit trying. So there are things that I visualize, right? How many times anybody that follows me on Facebook knows that my next car is going to be an Audi R8 Spider. period. I've, I've been very vocal about that. I haven't gotten there yet. I've been there with the money. I just haven't been comfortable writing the check for it. It doesn't mean it's going away. It means it's just not the right time for it to happen. So I leave that filed, but I still every single day hold a picture in my hand or on the internet of an Audi R8, and I know that I'm going to have it. Now, after reading the specs on the new BMW M8 convertible, <laughs> hey, I've driven one of those before, my man. I know all about the Kubota tractor. There you go. I don't know if that's a Kubota or not, but it looked like it. It is. It is a Kubota. Okay, there we go. That's my Audi. Yeah. That's my Audi. Well, I don't have any place <laughs> that I can use a bush hog anymore, man. So, <laughs> But I've, I've used a Kubota with the bush hog and a front end loader on it, so I'm I'm I'm... Not as white collar as everybody probably thinks I am. I just play the role. <laughs> well, you were you, you were in West Virginia for a while, so I West believe West Virginia you. and Alabama both. I mean, I was trying to force the whole redneck thing on myself, and it just didn't work. <laughs> Obviously, I'm kidding, people. I love both states very, very much and have great friends in both. But West Virginia is a whole lot different than Tampa, Florida. <laughs> I'll never forget it. Have you ever heard me tell the story of my first day of school? No. So I moved to West Virginia part uh, right before my uh, basketball tryouts, my junior year of high school, so I could play basketball there because we, my family was moving at Christmas break. So it didn't make sense for me to start here and then go up there. So my dad and I relocated up there first. Brother and sister and my mother stayed behind, and then at Christmas break they moved up and joined us. So I go to school the first day. And by the way, this is the old school. Like there, there were no buses. Like the bu- You had to live like five miles away to get bus service. So uh-huh. I lived at least a mile and a half to two miles from the school, and I did have to walk every day. And this is late, probably mid-October at the time. So I walk to school, walk home. By the time I get home, my dad's already home from work, and he says, hey, how's your first day of school? I was like, Dad, it's a little weird. And he said, what do you mean? I said, there were eight pregnant girls in my first class. What? <laughs> Holy cow. 
and he said, what? And I said, there were eight pregnant girls in my first class. And my dad's response to that was, well, apparently there's not as much to keep them busy up here as there is in Tampa. <laughs> Listen to me. I came from a place where if you, I'm not saying girls didn't get pregnant in high school in Tampa, but when you did, it's like the mafia found them and they disappeared. You never saw them again. Like it was just abnormal for me to be like that. And I'm not kidding you. When I sat in my English class, there was a girl that literally was holding her back, her lower back. You know how women, when they're pregnant, will hold their lower back and shuffle their feet? She was Mm -hmm. doing that to get to the pencil sharpener that was mounted to the wall. (laughs) Yeah, I'm that old. Like, I'm sitting here in the front row wondering if this girl's water is going to break before she gets across the room. And sure enough, two days later, she just, like, didn't come to class. She was out for six weeks, had the baby, got high school maternity (laughs) leave, and then she's back and in class. Like, it's just like, how's this happen? You got a six-week-old baby at home. Who's watching it all day? Another fun story about West Virginia, and I'm not picking on them, but another fun story is... I was a, when I, it was the end of my junior year, and one of my buddies that I played baseball with came up to me. He's like, "Hey, man, I'll catch you tomorrow." I'm like, "Why?" He goes, "I got to go watch my nephew's graduation tonight." <laughs> Think through that. <laughs> I was in eleventh grade. Nephew was graduating. So he, yep. there was also a guy in my graduating class that was 25 years old, and the shift was three to eleven at the local McDonald's, and he would hook up. Wife and kids came to graduation. <laughs> so when people, where I come up with all the stories, I've lived with people. These are like not things that I make up. I've seen it all moving around the country. Kirby, so you've watched Hayden from a little bit of a distance. You guys are kind of the same part of the country, so to speak. Like, what? what's your impression? He ends up being your coach on the protege. Did you even know who he was at that point? Was it still too early? Was that a question to me? Did, David, I think you broke up a little bit. Ask that again. Or you were just like multitask. I could tell by where you're looking. Um, <laughs> I had, so, he's had this banner year. How much did you know about him? Or what did you, what did you think you were, you were going to get out of him as a coach? Or was it too early after he won protege for you to know? I don't think it probably was because you were there when he was crowned. No, not at all. So, I was actually, when they announced the coaching pairings, I thought it was kind of a layup if anybody ended up with both Sedlak and Derek at the same time. No offense to the other coaches, um, only offense to Ryan Keating. But truly, (laughs) I I thought that with those two coaches who are hardcore producers and people that are out in the middle market every single day, um, they were going to make our team even better. And then when I saw McCall was in there, I was worried for how our group chats would go, and they went exactly how you thought they would go. Did you know McCall before? No one. No one. No one I saw his, his uh, audition video, and I was like, "Is he even a producer? Like, does he is he in the insurance industry?" Just out of curiosity. Has anybody seen a deck page with Brian McCall's name anywhere? I I don't know. I mean, I'm asking. He didn't turn anything in the production round yet. I've not seen anything. Uh-oh. That's interesting. Maybe McCall was manufactured specifically to come in and stir things up. Like the Terminator. He actually came back from the past just to be part of this program. Or I hired him to make it spicy. But no, the guy's, I mean, I, I think he's <laughs> legit, man. Here's the thing crazy about McCall. This is, this is the thing that I, 
Brian McCall's work, and, and by the way, we're going to talk about him because he talked about you, Kirby, Uh-oh. when he was on. Um, but this is the thing about McCall, and, and I would tell, I, I have told him the same thing. His work product is a combination of good and frustrating. Like, the meat of what this guy turns in 100% on point. He just missed the branding bus. <laughs> you know? I don't know if anybody in the middle market that's going to go to risksucks.com. I hope that he did that for the show, and it's really going to be something else. Yeah. Hey, you never know. That's, I mean, that's pretty catchy. I've tried to go to it. Should, should I try to do it under uh, other screen oh, while we're on ex- here? It doesn't exist, but I wish that his niche would have been vacuums instead because risk sucks would have really worked for them. Yeah, that absolutely. Could, well, there's a niche opportunity right there. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. You, he, he could specialize in, there, in those big vacuum trucks nationally. Just write nothing but VACCON trucks that clean cleaners and everything. There you go, McCall. I'll take my royalties when you close your first one. I'll put them on septic tanks. <laughs> yeah, the ones that suck all the, the crap out in the campgrounds. Yeah. Yeah, yep. all that. Beautiful. Anything that involves rip. Yep, we just set up a niche for them. Well, you started be a to dangerous, say, Derek, and then I interrupted you. Dangerous business. <laughs> no. Um, Just ask John Bobbitt. I'm having trouble hearing some of the stuff, but I, I was, I'll pitch in a little bit about season two. Going off of what Kirby said, um, not, I don't know what your criteria to to partner coaches up was, but I, the whenever we talked about who the coaches were before the season started, I was like, there's no chance he's putting me with Sedlak. I was like, that I'm gonna be. You know, with one of the other guys or Ciara. Let me tell you I was what like, the there's creative, no way. Here's the criteria: a creative uh, and an executor. And it's not that you're not an executor, Derek, but you're more creative. I mean, Steven's creative too. I shouldn't say that, but I think that you lean more to the side, and he's more the old school tactical, right? Same thing with Ryan Keating and Mick Hunt. Keating yeah, is actually yeah. really, really creative when he wants to be, and Mick is obviously a tactician. And if I am being 100% honest with the audience, I also felt like Ryan Keating needed a, a positive influence in his life in the form hunt, so I wanted him to have somebody that was a co-partner with him that would snap his rear end into gear a little bit. And then, the, I mean, Ciara sure. and um, Justin, same thing, obviously, from a creativity branding standpoint. Fewer better, in my opinion, than Ciara is. And then Keith, or Keith, Heath and Ariel, you know, those guys were the two that were probably maybe a little more similar, but I mean, listen, the mayor's a little bit of a graphics game if you don't know that. Like, he either he's oh, yeah. got a real, real, real in the city over on Fiverr and he can have stuff turn around quick, or he's really doing stuff. So, you know, those even those guys ended up complimenting each other pretty well. That was actually kind of like on a spur of the moment thing, you know. I knew he, mm-hmm. I was going to include Heath, but I wasn't sure who was. His host was going to be, and I actually had thought about Ariel, and then Heath said it, and I'm like, well, this is a done deal. You know, that's that's who it's going to be. So the size literally just anybody creative, somebody a little more tactical. And that, that's oh, yeah. Well, whenever I saw Sedlak and I were partnered, I was like, there's no chance that we don't get at least one person into the finals because you get two sales minds together. It's like, we're gonna we're gonna coach someone through to either lead in sales or be in the top in sales to get the final round. Now where I'm concerned is the final vote because 
that's all in Kirby, your hands or whoever, whatever contestant makes it to the finals, because that is you marketing yourself. We can help you, but it's no longer sales coaching. It's no longer producing in the middle market. It is getting a following and developing, you know, those votes. So I was like, we're going to get some people into the finals. There's no doubt finals. It's on, it's on your hands, but no season two, not to say that I didn't learn anything in season one, because I absolutely did. I feel like I've learned even more in season two as a coach and learned from Sedlak and listening to all so, of the guys that are so, on our team. So speak to that a little bit. What, yeah. yeah, what what did you learn in season two? I'm interested well, in Well, I'll give you a, a real example. I'm surprised to hear you say that. Yeah, a, a real example, learning from Sedlak, I'd say is a lot of it, because as a result of listening to Sedlak, I've started co-writing a book with um, another guy in our office about um, one of the niches I'm in. You could, in say, is you could say Garrett's name. Is that who it is? Garrett, yeah, Garrett Ulmer. So we're co-writing a book. We're almost hey, done man, with it. We've come on, Hayden. It doesn't need to be need to be all about you. It doesn't need to be okay. all about you. Let Garrett get some of the some of the line. I mean, there we all know go. who he is. He's in every yep. video that you're on LinkedIn. Anyhow, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So me and Garrett, we're co-writing a book to just going to be a guide to transition about transitioning from fully insured group health plans to self-funded or partially self-funded, uh, answering questions that we hear on a regular basis. The exact same thing Sedlak did with the work comp book. Um, we're doing that for the self-funded market. So um, I I had no idea. And then he, I don't know if it was just a call with you, Kirby, and, and me and Sedlak yeah, where he us. talked about it. And I was like, okay, that seems super easy. I was, you know. Yeah, you copy and paste it into Amazon. That's all he said. <laughs> yeah. He goes, just write it. And I was like, okay, thank you. Okay, okay. He's so mean sometimes, <laughs> but I love him. <laughs> yep, he's pretty to the point, which we need with McCall and the group calls. So, um, oh, yeah. But yeah, that's just as a result, doing the book and just learning, you know, getting additional work comp knowledge from Sedlak and just doing things, learning how all the competitors are taking the information they're learning and making it their own gave me ideas. We got some, we shared email marketing ideas, just things that, yeah, I learned in season one as well, but I've added to it in season two as a coach. I'm not even the one that's competing and I've learned, you know, just as much from season two as I did season one. Who's your favorite person on your team? That's good. <laughs> uh, John Lyons. That makes sense. He's a silent assassin. <laughs> He's a silent assassin. That dude's a killer right now. I like all of you. I'm just kidding. You said Andy Warner. Andy was on our team. Wasn't Andy, Andy on your team, Andy's too? Andy's a good dude. He, he would have been the safe one to He's say. in the finals. Yeah, he would have been the safe one to <laughs> say that. Because I you just picked one, and he's competing against the other two. Come on, man. I'll teach you how to be more of a politician, Hayden. Yeah, we had Warner, Lyons, Kirby, McCall. McCall. And all four of them had their strengths. And what I can see is all four of them like were engaged the entire time. Um, you know, season one, there was people who made themselves drop out. You know, they just stopped producing, stopped putting their stuff, um, content together and submitting it. All four of our guys stuck it out the entire way and they were engaged the entire way and they learned throughout the process and applied. They were actively applying it to their personal businesses, which I thought was, you know, a victory in and of itself. 
they were taking the material that they're being fed and using it and winning. Like I, I got calls from almost all of them saying, Hey, just want to let you know, I got a BOR because, um, I used this or that, or, you know, did got a meeting with a big client because of this marketing scheme. I was like their ability to take what they've learned and apply it. It was pretty cool to watch. Um, because it's easy. I mean, you, how many people listen to this podcast and they, they, they learn on a weekly basis, new items, but they never use it. Uh, so watching our teammates are, yeah, that's why I tell them. Absolutely. So yeah, all the guys did an awesome job and I'm, I'm pretty proud to be a part of it and hoping we can push one of them through to hold up the belt. So, you know, you guys definitely overall, obviously with three people in the finals, had the lion's share of the people. I don't think any other team has right. three, right? Yep. I think it's two, two, yep. one, and three. Yeah. So, you know, and that's the thing, man. Andy had good work product. When I talked to him, I told him, I said, it's, it's, it's a tough decision for me when I have to cut somebody because – I don't want to cut anybody, right? To me, the easy, the easy way is to throw wolves and let, let production sort them out. But it's like I told him. I said, you know, I looked at him and Jonathan specifically and just said, look, if you guys come back next year, you're just not there. You don't have the experience that the people are in. And that's what it came down to for me is when I looked at it, I said, who are the people? that are there what's their overall experience in sales period what's experience in the insurance industry and that's kind of how i arrived at the conclusion now we have not released the protege episode yet people don't realize this but there were no losers right so the people who got cut i don't remember if i gave them months or a year Honestly, i don't care but they get one on coaching 30 minutes a week for the next six months my year and why am I doing that so that I can close that gap I know where they need help now and I'm happy to do that. If they put themselves out there in my opinion they deserve a reward of some sort aside from just the experience I want to close the loop man I want uh oh I think you just take it now Derek so um guys we just lost the man himself David walked out on us oh and he's back never mind guys I tried to take over the show didn't even have the chance. No, listen, am I choppy? Am I am I better now than yeah, when I was in here before? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I got it. Actually, what happened is I got this weird error on my browser that said device is struggling to record, and then I was gone. So I've never had that before. Oh, that's gotcha. cool. Jason Cass. Jason Cass is the biggest brand ambassador in the world for Riverside, the platform that we use to record. Uh huh. And I'm going to tell you right now, as a Riverside user, I am extremely extremely disappointed with the quality of their product and the fact that every other podcaster I know besides Jason Cass has problems with it. So I want the version you people are giving to Cass or I'm going to have to go to Zoom where everybody else has gone because just doesn't make sense anymore. So anyhow, <laughs> but what I was saying is I wanted to close the loop, man. I wanted everybody to believe better. I wanted to be able you know, and for me, it's also a matter of personal pride and investment in somebody 
to where if I bless it and say, look, this person has done what they needed to do. I'm signing off on it. They're ready to go out in the world and produce. I want to make sure I've got that final stamp of approval on there. 30 minutes a week for six months or a year or whatever to invest in somebody, honestly, is nothing. So um, I'm happy to be able to do it, but I don't want people feeling sorry for these guys because they didn't, they didn't lose. They just didn't get the grand prize. Everybody got something so far. So there's that. That's good. And, and, the, and I know the, everybody on the show, obviously, they were investing themselves to be competitors on the show by submitting their video. So that'll mean a lot to them. Anybody who puts themselves out there like that, that can potentially, you know, it, it's difficult to, to sometimes tra- take criticism publicly, especially when you're doing it in front of a, a group as large as, as you've built, David, um, following. So having that as a, as their I think it's, reward, I think it's safe awesome. to say though, I do think it's safe to say that the criticism that was heard publicly pales in comparison to the very direct criticism given behind the scenes. True. I was far more direct with everybody individually um, than what we put on the show. And part of that's because I promised everybody when they came on, I would do absolutely nothing to embarrass them. And I don't think that I did. I don't think anything that I said should have embarrassed anybody. And if it did, then that's really probably they need to get thicker skin or they're in the wrong occupation. Um, but, but the stuff that I said behind the scenes, yeah, there's times it was tough love, but you know what? That's what people need. You know, this is, I, I don't, I still think that people are just thinking that this is a fun little club that we have and it's a game and it's not real and there's not real advice given or whatever else. But at the end of the day, I do take it seriously. This is like, you know, even though I don't get paid for it and it's not technically my job, it's still my name behind it. And that's important to me. So I want to make sure that I give people exactly what they signed up for. So it brings me to a good, a good question. Um, I ask this to everybody, I ask it to Kirby when he was on, but like if the, Derek, what advice would you give to anybody who's sitting out there thinking, all right, if, if he goes ahead and pulls the trigger and he decides he's going to do season three, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. I'm kind of on the fence. What's, what's your advice to them? Just what I want to say, I won't say it publicly. Just do it. Um, just, just put a video together and send it in see what happens. I mean, there's, there's nothing, I guess if you're scared to do it, then you're going to be scared to walk into the middle market account. If you're, if you're ready to take your game to the next level, just do it. Even just putting the video, the submission video together, you're going to learn more about yourself and you're going to learn how to put the video together. You're going to overcome that hurdle and every hurdle you overcome gives you more confidence to build on. Um, obviously for my career, I mean, people see what I've been able to, you know, win the protege coach season two. I never would have done that had I not just sent in a three minute video, you know, as for the casting call for season one. So you don't know what's going to happen. Just invest in yourself, bet on yourself, do it. So how's that any different than producing in the middle market, right? Like you see that account. Exactly. You, you're thinking to yourself, oh, my God, I, I don't know if I want to go in there or not. Maybe I won't. Maybe I can't write it. Maybe I'm not smart enough or good enough or people don't think I'm pretty. No, that's not it, man. You go in and you do what you need to do to get the deal done, period. But here's what I know. There's a 100% chance you won't write the deal if you don't walk in the front door, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. one of my favorite things to say when people say, oh, but I didn't get this. Did you ask for that? 
Well, no, I just thought, no, if you want the order, ask for the order. That's how you get the order, period. You don't dance around and hope somebody just hands it to you. You go in and you know when it's time to ask. It's no different than you being in a tree stand with your bow, hearing that (laughs) (laughs) underneath the tree stand, waiting for the deer to come out from underneath it. Next thing you know, bam, right? You know when to take the shot. You don't take the shot when you hear the noise. Exactly. Take the shot when you've been patient enough. You put yourself in the position to take the kill shot, and you do. Exactly. Now, there's a story from one time when I was deer hunting in Andalusia, Alabama, this be good. with one of my good friends, where um, I'll, I'll tell the whole story, but I'm going to leave some parts out, and you guys can draw the conclusions because they're easy to draw. So we're driving from Birmingham down to um, Andalusia. It's about two and a half, three, somewhere between two and a half and three and a half hours. I honestly don't remember at this point, but it's in the southern part of the state, and Birmingham's kind of in the middle. And um, we get to Greenville, Alabama, which is about an hour, 30 minutes to an hour south of Montgomery. And the only place to eat is the Sizzler or the Western Steer. It was one of the two, but it's the same general thing, right? And for whatever reason, I thought the chili cheese potato bar was a great idea before going deer hunting the next day. Okay? You see where this is headed. (laughs) So we get get down to Andalusia, and this is in... I want to say it's in late January. We get down to Andalusia. It's about 28 degrees out. We're sitting in my buddy's in-law's living room because that's where we were hunting was on their property. He's like, all right, time to go to bed. Let's go. Let's go hit the truck. And I'm like, go hit the truck. What do you mean? <laughs> oh, we're, well, we're, we're camping out. I'm like, what? <laughs> Minor detail. You probably should have <laughs> let me know before I packed to come down this trip. So I put every ounce of clothing that I had on, on, and we went to exactly what you would consider to be a manly hunting camp. There was old furniture in a semicircle around a fire pit, Mm -hmm. and we were sleeping there. And my job was every 15 minutes when I woke up fearful that I was going to freeze like a survivor of the Titanic, (laughs) I went and put more wood or something on the fire to get it to flare up enough to warm me up to where I could make it through the night. And so then at 3 o'clock in the morning... Chili cheese potatoes knocking on the door in the middle of the woods, right? (laughs) So we'll spare that, and we'll fast forward. It's like 5 o'clock the next morning, and he gets up, and he drops me off, and he says, now the stand you're going to go to is like right over here. You're going to weave through, do this, that, and the other. There's no stand where he tells me to go. (laughs) Like I literally walk the, the entire property looking for this place. Finally, dawn hits. I find it, I get up in it, I'm ready to go, and I hear deer snorting everywhere. Like, it was all over the place, but I can't see them. They're not out in front of me. And it gets to the point where it's like 9 o'clock in the morning at this point. Next thing I know, I hear horn honking, and I see coming across the other end of the field, my buddy, my dearly beloved friend, who is now a judge in Shelby County, Alabama, driving his truck to come get me because he figures I've already shot one. (laughs) And I swear to God, no less than 100 deer rush out from the woods and underneath my tree stand out into this field in a way, and I had no ability to take a shot whatsoever because he was driving right toward me. (laughs) There you go. Hey, that's a deer story if I've ever heard one, man. The one that got away. The hundred that got away. Listen, I'm getting getting pulled away for a second. You guys run it. I'll be back in two. We're on it, man. I got Kirby. What's up, Kirby? What's, What's up, your brother? experience been on Protege Season 2? What have you learned? 
I've learned a lot, man. I've learned a lot. I would say that if you double down to kind of what you spoke to, the confidence. Um, I'm a younger producer. I've been in the industry not very long. I've listened to a lot of podcasts like everybody else listens to the podcast, even the older people in the industry. And, you know, you turn, you start, you're a generalist, you're doing, you know, smaller mom and pop, being from a small town, main street, you know, you get what you got when it comes in front of you. Mm-hmm. But when you start hunting and you start going after accounts because you know that there's a problem you need to solve, the confidence that comes with that, you win one, you get the nether, another, you win one. And then it's just, it's easy. I'm not worried about anything anymore. I'm not scared to look dumb because I am. What are you going <laughs> to I can't look dumb if I am dumb. So it's it's been a blast. Good relationships. I'm friends with kids from other teams. I'm pretty sure Sedlak and I are friends. I don't really know. His texts <laughs> to me are always mean. He commented on my Facebook page yesterday and was just like mean. He just said, no one will ever choose you as their agent. I'm like, <laughs> just throw an emoji in there so I know hey. you're joking. Sed Sedlak's like your little league baseball coach who you're afraid to mess up in front of because you don't know what he's going to say. Yeah, I don't <laughs> know if he likes me. He's always mad in traffic when I call. <laughs> so <laughs> it's funny because like every call I've ever been on with him, he's in traffic and he's just bitching up a storm about it. Yeah, cussing. He's my grandpa. He literally is. Yeah, he's a great dude. Um, but so yeah, yeah it's yeah. relationships, it's everything else. So no, it's been it's been an absolute blast. What um, one of the things you said about coaching's taught you more. I coach mm-hmm. high school wrestling, and I I know more about wrestling now than I ever knew when I was a kid. And it's because mm-hmm. you have to teach it to somebody, and you're right again. You you have to become the expert in order to you know not prove yourself wrong in front of a bunch of kids. Right. Yeah. So you exactly. you become a student of the student of the student of the game. So then that way you can pass down your knowledge. Um, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk. I, I don't know. David's not here, so I'm going to ask you about it. Are you working on any other side projects you want to talk about, Derek? Things that maybe well, you know the listeners of this show would want to know about. I'll, I'll just give a a quick synopsis tidbit, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I've been. It's funny, like you said. Once you, once I won the protege, now people think I know what I'm doing, which I do. I mean, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot. And after coaching you guys, I'm like, I have some stuff that I can share that, especially the young and new producers, um, I think could benefit from. Um, I I always tell a story about when I was a, a young producer, I was failing miserably. Like I had maybe six months left before I had to tap out before the money ran out and I had to find a, you know, a real job. Um, but this, I, I hit one and the entire premise of the, the story is, um, we didn't even like quote everybody's, you know, in insurance, you try to sell a quote or an insurance product. We went into this account, a middle market account, didn't even talk about insurance and solved like two or three of their problems they were having when I started the uh, Affordable Care Act was still fairly new. So we literally just answered questions, solved a few problems, and left the meeting with a BOR. I'm like, had I not won that account, I wouldn't have stayed in the insurance industry. So that like that one pivotal part is what I've kind of built on. And I feel like that's what young producers need to hear. And what I've kind of started doing with my doing some sales training and doing some um, 
talks at uh, like conventions. I've just started dabbling with it. Um, but people ask me questions on LinkedIn all the time. So I just started a, a quick little group on LinkedIn where I share sales tips. Um, be happy to explain anything to anybody that's interested. Hit me up on LinkedIn. But um, it's nothing to the David's group, Killing Commercial. If you're going big and if you want to learn everything, Killing Commercial is the place to go. If you want small tips, you can ask me or listen to this podcast because this is where I learn everything that I use in my daily strategy anyway. So, um, but yeah, just it's cool to see people think now that you are kind of in the the heads the, the spotlight, you know everything, and you which I'm still learning. I do know more than I did before, and I feel like I have stuff to share. Dude, with. that's the all of us are the same way yeah. though. Yeah. I tell people every day, man. People will call me up and they'll say, hey, man, what do you do about this if this happens in your hate? I'm like, I don't know. I'm the sales guy. Like, yeah. You're asking me about ops? Like, I suck at ops. That's why I'm in sales. Yeah. I can do it, but, you know, I learned just as much about how to run an agency from my friends as I'm ever going to teach them about anything. And I think that's why it's so important that you have a peer group in a, in, a, in a tribe that you can run in that you know that no matter what you run into, somebody in that tribe is going to have the answer and be able to help you see things through, mm -hmm. right? That's the magic of what we've built with Killing Commercial. You can go get sales training. I mean, look, there's all kinds of people selling sales training online now. You can get that anywhere. That's not what people come into the community for. They come into the they, I mean, they think that's what it's for, and they, they certainly do learn from it if they've never had experience to it before. But what they're coming in for is community and accountability, period. And knowing that it's a safe place. You know, look, there's all kinds of great places on the Internet that you can go and, and connect with other agents and everything else. But chances are your competitors are in that group. You can't speak freely. And we don't have that, right? I wish we had more social engagement in the network than what we do. It's it's tough because you got to get people to leave a platform that they're on all day and go to another one, but that'll happen in time, especially if, if Facebook ever starts charging. Yeah. You know, but for all for all I mean all practical purposes, you're 100% right, man. You can learn everything that I teach if you just listen to the podcast and you string it all together. Yep. Absolutely. Right? Now, most the other thing is most people aren't patient enough to do that. Most people understand the time value of money, and they realize it probably take two or three years to string it all together, so they'd rather just have it now. I mean, look look at Joseph Bustos from season one of The Protégé. He was like four episodes in. Dude's like, screw it. I'm out. I'm just going to join. Yeah. I don't feel like waiting to see if I win this thing or not. I need it now. Yep. And he went, I mean, that's the biggest deal he ever closed. He went to his boss and got him to buy a killing commercial for the agency. So... Yeah, I agree. That's and that's the thing that I think separates your top tier producers from, you know, the ones who just tend to dabble, I think, is is they take what they've learned and put it into action. And you know, I I talked about the podcast that Garrett and I started. It I l listened to Bradley Flowers talk about starting a podcast in your niche market for 2 years. And then I, you know, heard David talk about Babel, and I was like, "All right, it's time to do it. Go ahead." And then what it's spun into we're almost at the 50 episode mark and that's the that's the yeah. mark too that's the mark you've got to do 50 we've got a huge huge for us huge opportunity I, I can't say yet but there's an opportunity knocking at the door with this podcast that it's just like i can't believe where you ended up so just just taking what you've learned and actually putting it into action and making it happen that's that's the key to 
to everything. Yeah, I listened to something the other day, whether it was a TikTok or whatever it was, and the guy goes, you know, consistency is more important than motivation because there's going to be days you wake up and you're not motivated to get 250 podcast episodes, but the consistency is what brings that motivation back to it when you have a bad day. And um, mm-hmm. I assumed you started your local podcast because I've had one longer than you, and um, you follow me online, <laughs> Hayden. But no, so yeah, just sticking with things. Sticking with the challenges. Everybody who stopped early, again, to each of their own, but th- they missed out on the opportunity to really put themselves out there and learn something from just the consistency aspect of this. I've, I've got a funny podcast story, by the way. Um, so my wife and I recently just got back from the Dominican Republic, and I had downloaded – for the finals of the protege in San Antonio last year, I downloaded a few podcasts to listen to on the flight. Well, it turns out I had no clue who Kirby was at the time, but the insurance guys did a show with, cause, uh, flowers coached Sloan and they did a show about, you know, trying to get votes for Sloan. So I, I downloaded that one on my, you know, for my trip to San Antonio. Little did I know I was on the way to Dominican Republic a, f- a few days ago and I went like re-listened to some of the episodes I had downloaded, and Kirby was the co-host of that episode on Insurance Guys. It's like, what in the how? How did this even? I had no idea who you were, but I went back and listened to it. I was like, that's the dude who's on my team. I was like, no way. So I, it was just one of those things. It's like it comes full circle. Mm-hmm. That's how I got on David's podcast. I think yeah. the first time too. Well, that was the title. Right? Wasn't the title like? Yeah, I finally some airtime. Yeah, I've got a like shrine that? in my. Yeah, because you were on there, and Scott just ran. The all same over thing he does to Bradley, anyways. I think Bradley talks eight times an episode. I know you knew what you were. You knew what you were walking into yeah. when you got on there. <laughs> Speaking of which, there's like no, there's like no private podcaster beef out there. In case anybody wonders, there's not, never going to be a scene like Anchorman where we all just get into a street fight with each other simultaneously. <laughs> We're all really good friends for the most part. That's for great. the most part, who's who's outside man? Is it Gibson? Um, I I just I just say that no, it's not that it's the outside you know outside of the circle. I just think there's people out there who have podcasts I don't know that I've never met personally. Right, like Brian Falchuk's a great guy, I'm sure, but he's not in my circle of people who have podcasts that I hang with. Not because I wouldn't welcome him. I just don't know the guy. Right. Um, the insurance nerds people. I don't know those people. Like there's a lot for as many people as I know in the industry, there's 10 times more that I don't. And so that's, you know, when I speak or speak like that, I'm usually just talking about like the circle of people that I'm known to associate with. There's nobody I would say that's an outcast in that group. You're getting ready to talk some beef Kirby about a certain other competitor in protege season two. Oh, Gibson. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. just does. I figured every, every season needs a heel, and I'm sure people have heard me, you know, bitch about Gibson since the first um, four way episode I did with Lugo and Ryan Smith. Where for some reason Ryan Smith thinks even those videos need to be 54 minutes long. I bet you Ryan Smith takes probably 12 months to close business because he can't figure out how to ask for the bor in a 30 minute meeting. Um. Um, you're not the uh, guys quit laughing those are good jokes um i think lugo <laughs> oh i'm i'm just gonna let you go man I'm, i think you're, lugo you're the one digging the hole is actually the sweetest person i've ever met and he's getting married soon so i love him to death 
I wish he would have made it in the show because I think he's a ringer. Um, Gibson, loudmouth, lots of energy, full of shit most of the time. Couldn't sell his way out of a paper bag. Really good at making relationships with realtors who hand him business. That's pretty much all he can do. Other than that, boys, my, my time is done. Who wants to talk next? <laughs> wow. This is like the, the locker room material here for, you know, pregame football. Yeah, I, I just, I feel personally. Yeah, I feel personally like we were full of game competitors, man. You know, the people that actually went down swing. And I don't think, I don't know, man. I could talk a lot of trash about a lot of people, but I don't know that I would pick anybody out of that lineup oh. to talk smack about. I, I just, I don't have anything bad to say. It's not that I'm afraid to do say. it. When I was Sean's age and a little younger, trust me, man. I can imagine. I was through with it yeah, before Kirby knew true. what to Gibson do Gibson knows it. where I live. He can show up tomorrow. He has, he's blown me off for coffee for like a month and a half saying he's too busy trying to move. Didn't even use easy totes. I'm going to give a shout out to Gibson right now because he's got Scott House producer Nick Lucas uh, shadowing him this week. I'm trying to get Nick up to speed on, on how processes and things like that work. And so, you know, Nick, pay attention while you're on the road, man. That's a gift. You need to You need to follow somebody high energy so you can learn what the habits of a producer are every day. It's nice that Scott gave him that opportunity. Yeah, that's handy. He asked me, and I'm like, he goes, what do you think about that Mitch Gibson guy? I'm like, the people at Pearl Vision love him. He has <laughs> awesome glasses. Like, every time you see a picture, cartoon, whatever else, this guy, like, he does not look like he is an insurance agent or um, no. an athlete of any sort. He looks like he should be filing books with the Dewey Decimal System. And then I find out he played ball at Ball State, which, by the way, Gibson, if you are listening to this, anytime you're ready, give me just a couple of months heads up to get the dust knocked off a little bit. But I was in the 90, per mi 90 uh, mile per hour cages not even two months ago just hitting freaking seeds. No practice, haven't swung a baseball bat in 10 years, just got in there. I, I still had it. So, Gibson, if you if you want to you know, raise money for charity or whatever and you want to lace them up one more time at the risk of the big dog taking you off the short porch and right, you let me know. <laughs> so Gibson's going to pitch? There, I just talked smack to Gibson for you. He was a pitcher. Okay. Yeah, I just did that for Sean Kirby. I wanted to let him know. I there can't talk smack to Mitch He needs Gibson to hear too. it. He needs some motivation right now. <laughs> But anyhow, listen, any final parting remarks before we leave? Kirby, you first. Uh, vote for or V for D, uh, V for S. So um, I want to say thank you, David, for bringing me on and interviewing me um, and then also bringing on my season two coach, Derek, for this episode. Hopefully it comes out before the, the final votes because uh, God knows I'm in the top three. So, guys, vote Sean Kirby. The I want everybody to actually know it is a heel, so it's all a joke. I'm actually really nice. I've got kids, and it would be really important for me to win this. Um, <laughs> but no, guys, I appreciate it. I've learned a lot from both of you. Um, I'm very appreciative for everything you've done for me, especially you, Coach. Hey, happy Back to, to you, do Derek. it, man. And for uh, anybody listening, if if and when Protege Season Three occurs. And like we said earlier, if you're considering, but you don't know if you're going to submit your entry video, just do it because you don't know what will happen. It could be the best decision of your life or your career. Um, just do it. And I'll also say. I think we. I was going to say, thanks, David. Um, no one would know who 
I am if it weren't for the protege. Um, so it's been a pretty cool ride and uh, it wouldn't happen without you starting the protege. So shout out to you, man. I just gave you the platform, man. You're the one who used it. Um, at the end of the day, I think that um, it's real interesting. I just saw the news come down that Brittany Griner got nine years in a Russian prison. Oh, no. Oh, are we a patriot now, Brittany? Do we want to sing the national anthem and say the pledge? I'm not going to get political on here, but people, if you want to talk smack about the red, white, and blue, don't come looking for help when the time comes that you need it. Period. End of story. Mic drop. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.